This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. of Canada podcast. My name is Kate Weir and I'm an assistant golf professional at Burnaby Mountain Golf Course. I'm joined today by Gina Ariema, head coach for the University of Connecticut Huskies women's basketball team. Gina has captured 11 NCAA national titles, the most in women's college basketball history, and has won eight national Naismith College Coach of the Year awards. She was the head coach of the United States women's national basketball team from 2009 through 2016 during which time his teams won the 2010 and 2014 World Championships and gold medals at the 2012 and 2016 Summer Olympics, going undefeated in all four tournaments. Today we are privileged to provide this unique opportunity to speak with Gino about building a successful culture in sport and for many of our golf professionals in business. Gino, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kate. Great to be here. Awesome. So you've been coaching at UConn for 33 years now. What's the biggest change in behavioral traits you've seen in our youth? Uh, I think one of the uh, one of the interesting characteristics today is um, this feeling of being overwhelmed with scheduling. It seems like uh, so much of their day is planned out for them. Um, they, they, they have an agenda every day, it seems like. Uh, there's very little time for free time, creativity, or just play, or do other things. Um, it's, come on, we're going to go to this exercise. Come on, we're going to go do this event. Come on, we're going to go do this activity. And it's almost um, exclusively parent-run Right. And I think the kids have lost a lot of their creativity. They've lost a lot of their spontaneity. Um, They don't necessarily know how to self-organize, self-push. So we're we're trying really, really hard to to deal with that. But um, it's it's one of the major, major things that I've seen um, in the last 10 years. And what do you think has attributed to this change in in our youth? I think parents, uh, uh, I, I get it that parents want to do what's best for their children. I mean, I've got three grown children now, and um, they're adults, and I, I understand. And, you know, two of them were, were athletes, and mm-hmm. I I get that the parents are trying to put their kids in the best positions possible to be successful, but I think it's um, it's a fine line because it becomes counterproductive. Right. Uh, you know, the kids feel this intense pressure to have to live up to certain expectations. And expectations are not bad. Don't get me wrong, but there's this uh, there's this overwhelming 
feeling of um, I have to succeed at a certain level or I'm going to disappoint uh, a lot of people as opposed to, you know, I just want to have fun playing the game and wherever it takes me, that's where it takes me. And Mm -hmm. I have goals and I have dreams and I have aspirations, but, you know, those are pretty much on my shoulders, not on my parents or or my teachers or anyone else to um, to get them for me. I shouldn't be worried about you know letting other people down. I should be worried about letting myself down. Right. And if you had to have that conversation with parents before, or do you try and just deal with the athletes and and help them? learn that? Uh, a little bit of both. I think part of it is we talk with the athletes, and the other part is we do, if it's in stream cases, we do talk with the with the parents. And, and um, ironically, it's uh, for the girls, it's, uh, it's overzealous fathers, mm-hmm. <laughs> the best for their little girl. Um, and, you know, sometimes the moms are... are are overly involved, but generally it's it seems to be the dads, um, and we do have to have conversations with the with the parents, telling them, hey, back off your kid a little bit, you yeah. know, um, don't the kid's under enough pressure as it is, you know, going to college, having to study, mm-hmm. travel, competing against the best players they've ever played against in their life, without you adding even more pressure to them, right. Okay, so shifting a little bit, um, what does culture mean to you? Is this something you as a coach work to intentionally build, or is it something that evolves more authentically depending on the team around you? Well, I, I think you have to build it first. I think you have to set the uh, set the tone. You know, you've got to lay the foundation uh, for what kind of culture you want. And, and it doesn't start out as, this is the kind of culture that we want. It starts out with these are the expectations that we have. These are the standards that we hold ourselves to. Um, these are the things that are non-negotiable. This is what we expect from every one of our players as a given, not as a, hey, if you do this, it's going to be a good job. Uh, it's not, not about that. This is, what, this is what you're expected to do every day. What kind of, you know, what kind of effort, what kind of, you know, what kind of teammate you are, um, how hard you're going to work at the things that we ask you to, to, to work at, what kind of student you are, how you're going to treat people in the community. You know, these are the things that that are um, are the baseline. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have to establish that right from the very beginning, the very first, very first time you set about putting your team together. And then over a period of time, because that's how you do it and you do it all the time like that, and they know you're never, ever going to uh, waver from that. Mm-hmm. And it becomes known as, well, there's a certain culture at the University of Connecticut. Um, and then the kids who come here, they understand that. And those that don't want to be part of that culture, they don't come here. Right. So that was going to be kind of my next question in terms of when you recruit players or for many of our members listening to this podcast or hiring new employees, what are the most import- important traits or characteristics you're looking for? Well, in our world, you know, the obvious first thing is, you know, they have to have talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so 
you've got a bunch of kids that are really, really talented. Um, they're, they're good athletes. They're good basketball players. Um, you know, so now what do you do when you have 15 of those and you're trying to decide which of the three or four you really want as part of your team out of that 15, let's say. And then it, that's when it starts to become your personal uh, philosophy about what you what you value. So when I watch a kid play, and they're obviously talented enough to play at Connecticut, I'll look at, all right, are they unselfish? Like, do mm-hmm. they look like, do they act like, do they carry themselves like they care more about or as much about other people as as they do about themselves? Do they care more about how the how the team performs as opposed to how I perform and I'm being viewed? Um, are they are they a great teammate? You know, do they care for their for their teammates? Do they do things to help their teammates be better? Um, you know, are they respectful of their of their coaches, uh, of the game itself? You know, what kind of uh, what kind of attitude do they take on the court with them? And when there's a foul, when there's a, a turnover, where they get substituted out of a game, then it becomes more about the intangibles for me. Um, right. You know, once they have the talent and I know they can play for us, then for me it becomes all those. You know, not can they shoot, can they dribble, you know, can they run, can they jump. You know, all those kids that we're recruiting, they can all do those things. Right. So once they, once you have the kids, once they're there, what do you try to emulate and instill in them? Well, the most difficult thing for them when they get here is, it's the first time in their lives where all 12 players on the team are as good as they are, or with very little with very little difference. You know, when right. they're in high school, they're the best player on their team, they're the best mm-hmm. player in their city, they're the best player in their league. In our case, they're the best players in the state, and they're the best players in the country. Right. Now they get here, and there's 10 of those. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, they look around, and all the things that they used to do and take for granted, they just don't work anymore. Because before, if you were just trying to get by on because you were a better athlete, and you were running and jumping and you know quicker and faster and stronger and more athletic than everybody that you played against, now all of a sudden that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do to make yourself – um, you know, a productive member of our team. So that involves looking around and saying, okay, well, I'm really good at some things, but I'm not the best on the team at everything. So what am I really, really good at that I can bring to this team? And then all of a sudden you start to develop a role, and some people's roles are huge. They're, they're, they're asked to do a lot of things. Why? Because they can. And then some kids on the team, their role is smaller. And some have a very very minor role, but the the big thing that that we stress is whatever that role is, you have to be a star in that role. It, it, my daughter was in the theater, and I said it's no different than being cast in a, in a play or a movie. 
Not everybody's the the leading the leading man, the leading woman. You know, there's best actress, there's best supporting actress, there's um, there's other roles, and you better be great in that role if you right. want to scroll. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a lesson that we harp on every single day. Okay, so my next question is in terms of goal setting. Um, as a team, I'm assuming I'm sure you set goals, um, but as a coach and as a team, like how are those goals um, different? Well, fortunately and unfortunately for us, now the goals become if we don't win the national championship, it's just, right. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of silly. It's kind of unrealistic, you know. It's um, it, 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 when you never lose, you start to think that you never should lose, and then right. when you do lose, it's what did we do wrong? And that's dangerous because. The other guys that they have scholarships, they practice, they train, they're allowed to win once in a while, and sometimes your fans don't understand that. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately for us, we've created a situation here where winning a national championship is is what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. For us, we have to make sure that we don't even talk about that during the season, even though it's always there, it's always in the air, it's always hanging there. We try to talk more about how we're going to practice today. What's the goal today? What are the things that we need to accomplish today? So we make our goals very short term. There's what we're going to do today. Right. All right. And, it's, and if we have a game if today is Monday, and if we have a game on Thursday, then we lay it all out for them. Here's what we're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to get ready for Thursday's game. But in the meantime, we also tell them, we're not just getting ready for Thursday's game. We're getting ready for games in March. Right. So, you know, you're always you're always preparing for the future, but you're obviously trying to stay in the present. And I I heard you speak about when you were on your uh, your long winning streak, your being your 88 game win streak. Um, you were hoping, you were waiting for them to lose because some girls had never experience losing since they've been at Connecticut. Um, in terms of um, speaking about John Wooden, um, I've also heard you say that that may have kind of driven him out. <laughs> I just wanted to get your, get your thoughts on how winning, how winning can affect a team or can affect athletes and in terms of maybe them not really learning anything because they hadn't lost yet. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> Yeah, we won, uh, I don't know, I think we won 56 games in a row or something, so we broke somebody's winning streak um, in, our, in our league or something, I don't know. And then we won 70 in a row and we broke somebody else's streak. And then we won 80, 89, 90 in a row and broke UCLA's streak of 88. Right. And then we won 111 in a row and bro- broke our own streak of 90. Yeah. So there were kids that came to Connecticut that lost maybe one or two games in four years, which is not normal. Some people, no. most people lose one or two games in a week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not normal. So there have been times when I've said, you know, it's probably 
it's you know it's it's not a bad thing to lose you know provided you know you you play against a really good team and that team plays really really well and and you play pretty well but they just play better and they beat you because there's a lot to be gained from that obviously but then when you get into those games and you're playing a really good team and you'd say to yourself well there's no way we're losing this game tonight. So you do everything you can do to win the game, and then you win the game, and then you go home and go, man, I was hoping we would have lost that game. But, you know, you just, you're constantly looking for situations where your players can um, be reminded that there's another, there's another side to that story, that for every time you win, somebody has to lose. And, when you when you come up short, it forces you to go back and say, "All right, so what mistakes did I make, um, and how do I fix those?" We do that after a win, which is after a while it gets hard to do. So even though the the game was a tremendous success, we won. We we always have to be creative and go back and say, "Okay, what mistakes did we make? How could these become potential?" reasons we lose in the future, and um, which leads me to the next thing. You have to recruit kids that are really, really, really driven, kids that are really motivated to be great. Right. That they're not satisfied with just winning. They want to be great. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard you speak a little bit about Tiger in that sense, and, and once you've, you've been winning and um, – you've won a lot and you've lost much. Um, the kind of the struggle between do I continue to do what I'm doing or do I try to get even better than what I'm doing right now, which may be kind of close to perfection. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, like you said about coach Wood, I think there comes a point in time when, when, when winning becomes so, so pervasive and so obsessive, that you can't fathom the 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 idea of losing and then then almost if you're not careful you almost start to start to coach and start to feel like well I got to I got to make sure we don't lose and that becomes almost as much of a driver as I want to win and that's dangerous because anytime you start thinking about I don't want to lose um it takes the fun out of it because then even when you win, it's you're not happy because the only thing is you're relieved you didn't lose. Mm-hmm. And after a while, that just becomes a burden that you carry around. And and I think that might have been part of Coach Wooden's reasons for getting out. Like I just don't want to, just don't want to feel like that anymore. Where even winning doesn't bring you the kind of satisfaction that it used to. Um, and in Tiger's case, you know, like I asked him on my podcast, you were the greatest player ever. And you still wanted to go and fix your swing. And I always thought that, you know, that's good and bad. Yeah, I want to get better. But when something is about as close to perfect as it can get, there's a pretty good chance you're going to screw it up. So, you know, I love to play golf, and I play a lot. And I used to be really, really good. And I'm especially good in April and May. Nice. (laughs) June and July, when I'm trying to get better, that I get worse. <laughs> right. Um, so I, 
I understand this idea that once you've got something and, and you've got a, a, a formula and it's working and you're winning, uh, you want to stay with it. But there's a huge tendency in all of us to keep keep trying to get better, keep trying to get better, keep trying to get better. And, um, you know, uh, that whole saying, you know, the enemy of good is great. I really believe that now. Right. So on the flip side of that, um, at kind of at the start of your winning streak, when you're trying to sustain winning, how do you do that? I mean, we don't want to necessarily feel like we're getting defensive and, and not into what, wanting to not lose, but how do we actually sustain that winning streak once we started it? Again, you don't focus on the winning streak. You don't focus on the 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 outcome of things. You focus on the process by which you're doing things. Um, you know, and, and again, I go back to golf. Um, you know, you tee off on Thursday morning, and you want to win. You know, the U.S. Open on Sunday. Right. And and you don't sit there and go, okay. Um, if I if I make four straight birdies, I got a chance to win the U.S. Open. You 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 start thinking too far ahead, and and you lose sight of I just got to hit a great drive right now. Right. So staying staying in the moment. Yeah. And then you walk to the middle of the fairway, and you go, you know what? I I just need to make a great swing right here. And you do. And then you look up four holes later, and you might have three birdies. And to me, that's how we approach a 30-game season. We just say, hey, look, we need a great effort right now in this game. And we'll worry about what happens down the road. Because if we keep making great effort, just like we keep making great swings, you know, four days later, you're going to look back and you go, yep, that's why I won the U.S. Open, because I just kept making one great swing after another, as opposed to, a couple bad swings leading to oh my god one more bad swing and I'm going to lose the U.S. Open. Right. You know that 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 kind of thinking is what you know, ultimately is 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 someone's downfall. Okay, um, I just wanted to touch a little bit on um, I heard you speak a bit about uh, body language, especially with uh, younger athletes. Um, how would you say that you kind of teach them or? Um, talk to them about their, you know, negative or positive body language on the court or, say, on the golf course? Well, I think a a big, big, big part of, you know, uh, what's happening today is, you know, this, this video mentality and this this idea of kids emulating what they see, and a lot of times what they see is not so great. So all of a sudden they start doing the same thing. And there's this, you know, again, highlight reel YouTube mentality that if I act a certain way, I'll get noticed. And, you know, if you do something that's really good, you have to act like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. If you, you know, if something bad happens to you, you have to throw a tantrum because someone's responsible for that. And to me... um, you know, both of those things are just totally counterproductive to what you're trying to do, you know. So to me, a kid who's over the top when they do something simple, um, 
or is always trying to show up their opponents. Or a kid who, when they get taken out of the game, goes sit on the bench and pouts and, and acts like a, a punk, you know, or a spoiled brat because they didn't get their way. Um, you know, to me, it's like, why, why do I want to spend time with these kids? That, mm-hmm. that's, that's not what I want to do. So why would I have them on my team? So you try to recruit kids that understand that are normal kids, I guess. I, I keep using that word. I don't even know what normal is anymore. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that normal thing, like when you do something well, you get an girl, at a boy, you know, a pat on the back. And when you do something lousy and you do it, you know you shouldn't have done it, you get a, hey, what the hell was that? You know, that's yeah. what used to happen back in the day. Now it's, you know, no matter what a kid does, someone's always worried about their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really worried. I don't want to hurt the, you know, come on, give me a break. Well, your kids are pretty resilient. Just yeah. tell them the truth. Say, hey, why are you acting like a dope? And you know what? The kid will look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm acting like a dope. So I either need to stop or I don't care what coach thinks. Well, if you don't care what coach thinks, then you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to be playing here. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us. That was a very good chat, very, very insightful. On behalf of the 3,700 golf professionals across Canada, I want to thank you for making time to connect. And we all wish you a great season coming up. And thanks very much. Well, thank you. And I was just in Toronto recently, and... uh... I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it, and um, we were there last year also. We played out there, and it was just an amazing trip for us, and uh, uh, it was a pleasure for me to be invited, and um, thank you very much. You're awesome.